Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Okay, so this is a lockdown message for Creekside. The Bible text we're looking at this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. So I'll just read that quickly. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we're looking this morning at Paul's dedication from Philippians chapter 1. Um, it's said that Plato wrote his first sentence of his famous Republic, his work Republic, nine different ways before he was satisfied. Cicero practiced speaking before friends every day for 30 years to perfect uh, his oratory skills. Noah Webster, who wrote the dictionary, or a dictionary, uh, laboured 36 years writing his dictionary before it was published, crossing the Atlantic twice to gain material. Milton rose at 4am every day in order to have enough hours for his paradise lost. Gibbon spent 26 years on his decline and fall of the Roman Empire, 26 years, and Bryant rewrote one of his poetic masterpieces 99 times before publication, and it became a classic. So the question this morning is, to what or to whom are you dedicated? And Paul's dedication or commitment to Christ is demonstrated in a variety of ways in this brief passage. And hopefully the ones we focus on this morning uh, can help us by the grace of God to mature in our commitment or dedication to Jesus. And the first thing I want to point out from verses 12 to 14 is that Paul's dedication to Jesus was demonstrated in the way he responded to persecution. Now, how is we as believers, how should we respond when we are uh, persecuted or attacked or criticised because of our faith? It might be physically or emotionally or psychologically. How do we respond? Now, the first thing that Paul wants the Philippian church to know is that, and he states, what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Note that he repeatedly, through that passage, that chapter tells them, oh, sorry, through chapter 1, tells them, if you read chapter 1, that he is in prison or in chains. You would think that locking someone up would actually restrict their opportunities to witness. One might even wonder why God would allow an apostle like Paul, such a, a great evangelist, to be in chains. Paul, however, testifies to the exact opposite. The gospel, he said, has been advanced. So don't be anxious about my situation, about my circumstances. And these words must have been an encouragement to the Philippian Christians who were concerned about Paul's welfare. The word actually furtherance or advance there conveys the image similar to that of a pioneer beating through uh, or cutting a path through densely forest area. 
So Paul is saying he is like the person out the front who is cutting through, leading the way, uh, fulfilling or working out of God's strategic plan for him. In verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, Paul actually describes how his imprisonment has resulted in a greater witness. He talks about the palace guard, which we know were probably Praetorian guards, elite uh, soldiers. And Paul was guarded by the emperor's own uh, soldiers for probably one to two years under house arrest. And he has the opportunity to talk to these men about Jesus as they work their four-hour shifts. Now, these men would have been close to any kind of evangelization due to their occupation and commitment to Rome. So Paul's imprisonment provided a great opportunity. They were chained to him, literally. And as they were chained to them, he told them about Jesus. They can't get away. That's why he says, my chains are in Christ. Paul considered his imprisonment to be the will of God's sovereign plan or the result of God's sovereign plan. He also had the opportunity, we know, to write, and they gave him permission to speak to visitors. Paul, though in chains, saw past the persecution. He saw past the circumstances to the opportunities he had to evangelise. His attitude and response to being in chains was also an outstanding testimony to other Christians, we see in verse 14 of chapter 1, we read, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of, word of God more courageously and fearlessly. The way we respond to persecution, whether it be at work or at school or at home, not only demonstrates our dedication to Jesus, but can have an incredible impact on the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. Wouldn't it be encouraging to know that your response to persecution or criticism has played an instrumental role in inspiring other Christians to a greater dedication, a new boldness in sharing their faith? The second thing I want to talk about in terms of Paul's dedication is his dedication to Jesus was demonstrated in the way he responded to internal attack as well. And we see this in verses 15 to 18. Paul writes that some of the people who were preaching, uh, some of the church leaders in Philippi, uh, in Philippi, were motivated by their envy of Paul and their rivalry in relation to him. They were not heretics, Paul says, they are preaching Christ. And Paul writes that they preach from envy and strife, that strife, that's their motivation. They were jealous of the attention that Paul uh, received and they determined to sow seeds of dissension in order to cause them trouble. These folk were spurred on by selfish ambition and they've taken advantage of Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to attack him. So Paul not only feels that he's being persecuted from people outside of the church but also from internal attack, people within the church. They may have been suggesting that Paul's imprisonment was evidence of God's judgment upon him and they seem to delight in kicking him while he's down. Unfortunately for Christians, so often attack or criticism comes from other Christians. The question again is how do we respond? Usually we seek to defend ourselves, but look at Paul's response in verse 18 of chapter 1. He writes, what does it matter? 
The important thing is, and in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, he says, I rejoice. There's a Greek story about a a fellow, a man who killed himself through envy. His fellow citizens had built a statue, erected a statue to one of their number who was a celebrated champion in the public games. But this man, a rival uh, of the honoured athlete, was envious that he vow- and vowed that he would destroy the statue. The story goes that every night he went out into the darkness and chiselled at the base of the statue in an effort to undermine its foundation and make it fall. Well, he succeeded. He succeeded. Eventually, the statue fell on him. I like Paul's response to internal criticism and attack. He ignores them. There's no defence and there's no attack because Paul knows that God will ultimately judge them and their motives for preaching the gospel. Paul finds joy in focusing on the bigger picture. Although these fellow preachers preached in one way to attack him, they are still getting the good news out. And for Paul... Let God deal with them and their motives. He will concentrate on what really matters. That people hear the good news about Jesus. That's the important thing. And I think we should do the same. The third, I guess, uh, thing I want to say about Paul's dedication to Jesus was that Paul's dedication to Jesus was demonstrated in his deep sense of satisfaction. And we find this, these in verses 19, this in verses 19 to 23. Without breaking stride, Paul begins this section by picking up where he's just concluded, moving on from his present joy to his prospect of still greater joy to come. Yes, he says, even in my circumstances, even though I'm being attacked by people outside of the church, even though there's internal criticisms, I will still find joy because the gospel is being preached and people are hearing about Jesus. And he also says, I'll continue to rejoice as well. And he writes, because what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ. The Philippians prayer, he's saying, will generate the Spirit's supply. The Greek word was actually supplied there, was used to describe what a choir manager would provide for all the members of a Greek drama. In short, he took care of all their living expenses, all their uh, food, uh, travel expenses, and so forth. And the word came to me in ancient times, the word supply there, to mean a full supply of any kind. And Paul here refers to the daily supply or empowering to endure his troubling situation before him. He looked to the Holy Spirit to magnify Jesus in his life despite his circumstances, to give him strength, to keep focus on gospelizing. And that Spirit's ministry came through or via the prayer of the Philippian church. He writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage. So now, as always, so that Christ will be exalted in my body, 
whether by life or by death. Whatever happens to me, writes Paul, all that matters is that Jesus is exalted. For Paul, he had Jesus Christ in life and in death, and he would be satisfied with either. Similar words were written by the great Congregationalist pastor Jonathan Edwards, who wrote in his journal these words, Resolve that all men should live to the glory of God. Resolve, secondly, that whether or not anyone else does, I will. Can you and I honestly say what I desire most is that Jesus be exalted in my life? Is that what we are committed to? Is that what we are dedicated to? Can we say what we desire most about our church or in our church is that the name of Jesus Christ be exalted? It's certainly not an easy thing to do. When Paul writes, according to my earnest expectation in the New King James Version, or I eagerly expect in verse 20, the phrase translates a Greek word which pictures the outstretched hand of someone straining to focus attention on an object. Paul's demonstration of his dedication to Jesus is a constant work and strain. That's what he's saying. It's something he reaches, he strives to achieve. I have a confident expectation, a biblical hope, he writes, that all this is God's working and that his spirit will give me the needed strength not to lose hope so that Christ may be magnified in my body, he writes in verse 20 by demonstrating the right actions, which requires a constant commitment, a constant reaching out towards what truly matters. There was a meeting of a fellowship of Christian athletes one day, and Bobby Richardson, who was a former New York Yankee second baseman, offered a prayer that is a classic in brevity uh, and, and focus. He says, Dear God, your will Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I think that's a kind of that that prayer sums up Paul's attitude in this passage. Your will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Someone once said dedication is writing your name at the bottom of a blank sheet and handing it to Jesus to fill it in. I pray that our dedication as a church to Jesus will be expressed in our response to persecution from people outside of the church and criticism or from criticism and persecution from other believers and that our dedication to Jesus will also shine through and our satisfaction that we have in Christ regardless of our circumstances uh, as exemplified by Paul in this passage. I know it's a big ask to remain focused, to always be stretching towards that fundamental purpose of exalting the name of Christ. But I trust that the Holy Spirit will bring these things about in us individually and corporately as a church so that Christ is exalted in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Paul. We thank you for the demonstration of his dedication to you and his desire to lift up the name of Christ in his community. 
May we have that same desire and hunger, Lord, in our lives, both individually and corporately. Amen.